it's taken me a lot of years of stepping into the unknown to really trust that whatever it is that I am stepping into is going to be richer and more beautiful than what I'm currently experiencing almost every time. Welcome to the Wild Visionary Podcast, where I encourage everybody to tap into that untamed wild part of ourselves, where we can create just like we did in childhood and build and believe in something that maybe nobody else can see right now, but we can step into the identity of being a visionary, a future-focused leader, creator, and entrepreneur. I'm Audra Bartlett, a multi-passionate, multi-business entrepreneur. I'm a mom to a Pisces kid and a pit bull mix dog, and I'm here to shake things up, to talk about all things expanding your mind, finding resources that are right in front of you, and teach you how to be a Jedi of problem solving, just like I am. So welcome, Wild Visionary, where we will bridge the gap between I can't see it for me and becoming and embodying everything about being a wild visionary. Welcome back, everyone. We have a really special guest, Kendall Lamb, today. She's a mom, a fellow podcaster, a biologist, and a spiritual seeker. She spent her 20s researching whales and teaching about marine ecosystems, and her 30s traveling the world with her husband after selling everything they owned and buying a one-way ticket to Africa. Now you can find her in a small valley at the base of the North Cascade. How do you say it? Cascades. Cascades. Cascades, Yes, in Washington, where she's deep in the throes of her new motherhood. So welcome. Thank you, Audra. It's so great to be here. Yeah. And I I often start these with just like a meet cute, like, how did I meet you? And me and you had the same pretty intense day (laughs) one evening. Um, and we were both in this podcasting course and she got coached right before me on the direction for the podcast and kind of business. And I just remember hearing her story and it's, it's really interesting because I heard her story and thought to myself, oh crap, like if I have to go after her being coached, man, my story is just not going to stand up to that. Like I was like in this like shame of like, I don't even, I don't even have anything to talk about after Kendall's story. Um, turns out <laughs> I did, but you did. I, do, <laughs> I do really, really want people to hear your story because it's so amazing. And I think so many people have the intention or the idea that they want to do more travel or they want to live a life of travel. And so I want to hear from you as far as what that actually looked like and ways people can do it. And really, you know, this is about, this podcast is about the resourcefulness that people can find, inner resourcefulness, outer resources, and kind of what happened after you sold everything and now you're in Africa. So let's start with what kind of led up to that, right? What were you doing that kind of before that prompted this like one-way ticket, sell everything, I'm out. Oh man, well, it's really interesting because as you mentioned in the intro, I spent my 20s 
really uh, being a seasonal nomad, as we like to call ourselves, um, studying whales, because whales do not stay in one place, they migrate. And so people who study them tend to have to migrate as well. So I would be in Massachusetts for part of the year and California and Washington. And um, I really jumped around and I loved that lifestyle. It was, I think I've always had that urge to um, sort of follow a little bit more of an unconventional lifestyle. Um, I never really envisioned myself in one place. And so I had been doing that for almost a decade when I met my husband. I was living in the San Juan Islands at the time and he was uh, living on the mainland in Bellingham in Washington. And he was very settled. He was not somebody who traveled much, nor did he really have much of a desire to. And that actually was really appealing to me at the time. I was getting a little bit tired of not having a full-time home base. Mm -hmm. And so we dated for a couple of years um, before I moved in with him after we got married. And um, I loved having a house. I loved being able to paint walls and really start building some roots there. We had a cute little chicken coop and chickens. And mm. um, I was in a mentality very much of like, okay, this is my new community. I was building connections and friendships. Um, and then everything blew up when we decided to move to Africa. So yeah. And I think what's interesting about this, like just in the, in the initial that you ended up pairing with somebody, right. Partnering with somebody that was kind of opposite, right. He didn't really want to travel. He hadn't traveled much. He was like, here's this little home and we're kind of root in here. And a lot of times people won't even, you know, nowadays people won't even date somebody that is not full on board with all of their, their interests. Right. So was yeah. it, yeah, it kind of from point. a desire to root in at that point or what do you think? Or was he just really charming, right? <laughs> <laughs> he, he is very charming. We had been introduced through some friends and I always joke that had we been in the dating app circuit at the time, we never would have been matched. We were just really different people. Um, but that all goes out the window when you meet someone and you have a real connection. And so um, I think when I met him, I was... I definitely had the desire to be in a relationship and to be um, really committed to that. And so that was a driving force. And it's hard to say, it's a long time ago now, it's hard to say whether I was sort of lured in by him and then I convinced myself I wanted to be in one place. Mm -hmm. He was so conscious for a bit of a rest. And I really did kind of just want to root. I think it was probably a combination of the two, but um, yeah, I, I sort of shifted my mentality. Now, having said that, I still, once I got the nine to five job and I had the house and things were um, very, I guess, typical. I was just living a very typical lifestyle at that point in time, far more than I ever had. There was still this part of me inside that was, I think, bored of my life. I think I, I, started looking around. I remember this moment where I was standing on my front lawn and I lived in a row of houses in a neighborhood, just, you know, just imagine everyday suburbia. And every person, I, there were probably five people on my little stretch that were all mowing their front lawns at the same time. 
And I remember being struck by how weird it was that we all had lawnmowers and yet we all lived right next to each other. I, I remember thinking, what a strange way to build a life that we all have our own little independent units and we don't really talk to each other that much. And we sort of accumulate the things that we want in the houses that we have. And we're working these nine to five jobs so that we can afford to do two weeks of vacation every year. Um, but are we really enjoying our lives that we're building? Yeah. Um, and that I transition that, felt hard. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that reflection, I personally have, you know, had that many times. And I think a lot of people that listen to this, right, they're kind of out of the box thinkers. And the box really is different. Like I've, I've heard it talked about in two different ways. One being that we all are living and a lot of people are living this box life that we go from our house box to our car box, to our work box. Then we go home to watch a box, right? That like, it's kind of that, but also the reflection about the community in terms of when, you know, without getting into like a capitalism conversation, but that it was essentially put together so that we all thought we had to like not have the community of sharing one lawnmower for the neighborhood, but that we all had to buy our own lawnmowers. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, it's, it's, it is very interesting. And it sounds like it was a little um, like unsettling to you almost. It was, I mean, I've, I think from a young age, I've always been able to see sort of the absurdity of our um, structures sometimes, but not, not with cynicism. It's, mm -hmm. there's an amusement underneath it. There's something where I think I enjoy taking several steps back and just rethinking the entire thing um, and really questioning why we, structure our lives the way that we do, um, especially here in, in Western society where we tend to live pretty lonely lives. And as you said, we go from one box to another. So yeah, it did feel unsettling. And um, what happened for us that was really the big motivating factor to change it is that we, we planned a trip to Banff and Jasper National Parks in Canada. So in British Columbia, there are these two national parks right next to each other that are just stunningly gorgeous. It's just, it it's almost un, like otherworldly the way that these um, parks are laid out. There's just these glaciers and these uh, deep valleys and these mountains that are beautiful. And we spent a couple weeks um, camping out of the back of my truck and driving around and both of us, I think, were really in awe of just the wildness and the bigness and openness of the space. And neither one of us really wanted to leave. We both, I think, leaving the boxes for this big wild space felt so freeing and liberating to both of us that I think we were dreading going back to real life. And we ended up meeting on one of our very last days of our trip, this guy who worked for the parks. Um, we were staying at a campground and he had come by to restock wood and um, check in with everybody. And we were talking to him about his lifestyle. And he was like, oh, I have the best life in the world. I live in a little cabin up the road and I just drive around to these campsites and restock wood and talk to 
people and I do this for half the year. And I think both of us independently just, it started getting the wheels turning a little bit where we were thinking, oh my gosh, you could just do that. We, we could work in national parks for half the year and live in these gorgeous places and make money. And then it would be like being on vacation for half of your life. Mm -hmm. um, it just started us thinking, and I often think the gateway to these new visions that we might have for our life is just through simple storytelling. I think when we meet somebody who has a compelling story, it lights the way for our imagination to um, kind of grow some legs, so to speak. So instead of just thinking of some nebulous idea of, oh, wouldn't it be great to travel? Um, when you meet somebody who's doing something that you can see yourself in that role, you're like, oh, this might actually be a thing that's possible for us. Um, so we came home and we came back to our house and our jobs. And I, my husband just blew my mind about a week later when he walked in the living room and he said, you know, that guy we talked to in the park, why don't we sell everything we own and just travel for half the year and work seasonally in national parks for the other half? Wow. And, <laughs> like, uh... and I know I'm looking around at all of our stuff. I'm looking at this like brand new coffee table we just bought that I really loved. And I'm like, that sounds great. But now I feel like the practical one who's like, but we have a, like, we have a life. We can't just sell everything. And I slept on it and I woke up the next day and I was really feeling that, um, I don't know, just that discomfort again of what do I want my life to look like? I'm, I was in my, I think I was about 30 years old at the time. And I thought, do I want to really dig in my roots here and start a family and climb the ladder? Or do I want to take some time to do something really extraordinary? And so I left the bedroom and I said, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's sell everything. What does it look like? What, what do we do? Yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think there's like a couple things in that that are really, really great. Uh, and one of those is like part of the reason I think podcasts are amazing and these conversations are amazing is because it's like one, it takes one person for us to change that perspective, right? This one guy delivering wood in a national park all of a sudden opened up this space in your brain of like, wait a second, there's a different way of doing things. And often we think there are only a few paths possible or we can't quite get a grasp on what the other one could be. And I think that's so important. Like it just takes one conversation of curiosity to like shift that, right? And, yeah. and, and the other part is, really this like it's it's fascinating that your husband ends up being the one who initially proposes this all things considered yeah. right yeah yeah um and then what it took was you both of you like had to have your 30 seconds of bravery right he had to be like hey i have this idea right i think i want to do this and you had to be like yep all right i'm in yeah. And and that's it. Like once those decisions are made, then after that point, it's just things get to line up, right? Like yeah. now you've opened up the path that like, this is possible. We're going to say yes to it. And then you get to figure it all out from there. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you're so right about these serendipitous encounters that we have with people sometimes where in hindsight, you look back and you think, wow, that couldn't have been coincidence that we had this conversation with this guy. It felt, um, it felt meant to be, it, it felt like this conversation needed to happen. Um, and I'm so grateful that we were both paying attention and on the same page and, um, yeah, it's still, it's still incredible to me in the retelling of it because it really did just take that one little switch to flip. Mm -hmm. And then we spent the next year getting ready to go. It took a while. It, it takes a while to disentangle yourself from your life. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's true for everybody, maybe less so for some. I think if we hadn't owned our house, if we'd been renting or if we had had, um, maybe if we were in more of an in-between place with work um, or we were more financially ready we could have done it a little bit quicker um, but it took us about a year to make sure that we had all of our ducks in a row so to speak but we had really no roadmap at this point and it's interesting because this was uh, i think we made that decision in 2011 and it took us about a year after that um, but even then 12 13 years ago we just didn't have nearly as much access to online resources for um, how to do a thing like this. Um, and so we were, we were really without a roadmap, but we knew on, we knew several things. We knew that if we were gonna go, we needed to have as little debt and as few expenses on a monthly basis as possible because uh, we knew we were going to buy a one-way ticket to Africa and we chose Africa almost like spinning a globe moment. <laughs> it was like, okay, well, where do you want to go first? And oh <laughs> I had always wanted to visit Africa because I mean, it's Africa, right? It's, it's, um, almost mythic. <laughs> there's just, um, there's something really alluring about it. And I also knew it was going to be probably one of the harder places to visit. And we should probably visit one of the harder places first when we had a lot of like momentum and, um, and, and gusto. Um, so we chose Africa. We didn't know where we were going in Africa. And um, I didn't want to be in a situation where we were on a different continent and we had no income and we had all of these expenses on a monthly basis that were stressing us out. So we made a commitment to pay off all of our student debt um, I mean, we just really went on a financial diet that year. And um, what's amazing to me is that when we really looked at our finances, and this is probably true of any listener listening right now, it's incredible how much of your income goes to just maintaining the lifestyle that you have created for yourself in your box. So there's mortgage and car payments and phone payments and all of your subscriptions and most of the money we were making was just to support us living in this house mm. and planning for vacations. So when we eliminated all of that in, in theory, anyway, down the road, when we were going to be on the road, um, we were astounded at how little we were actually going to need to spend, um, to maintain just basic needs. Um, yeah. Cause if you think about that, you're thinking about your, your mortgage, your, like you said, the car payment, the subscriptions, the internet, the, you know, it's like, like I, it, it's hard to think of, I mean, other than most of us have student loans at this point. Right. So, 
<laughs> those like, you know, some credit cards that you probably most of the stuff in the credit cards were to maintain this life too, right? Like they were to buy the TV and the couch yeah. and the coffee table and the et cetera, et cetera. Um, and when you pare it down, like what ended up being that number, like what ended up being the, the things that you then carried as expenses? We were really lucky because we were able to pay down really everything. We paid down all of our credit card debt and all of our, um, like I said, our student loan debt. We sold the house. We didn't make nearly as much on it as we were hoping because we lived in a really old house and there was tons of closing costs we didn't anticipate. So we basically just got our down payment back on that. Um, and then really we just, we had some phone expenses, but we we traded in our phones for just like, um, burner phones basically that we could use internationally mm -hmm. so that was a very small expense um and we didn't have car payments we had two old cars we sold one of them and parked another at a friend's house and when i saw it we sold everything i mean I, we sold everything we sold like the picture frames off the walls we've sold the candles we sold everything i mean the funny thing about really getting rid of everything you own is you you have to confront everything so like mm -hmm. i remember toward the end we were giving out we went to a friend's barbecue about a week before we left and we were handing out like spices like you can have the cardamom and the mm. paprika because we were getting <laughs> i mean when you're emptying out your kitchen i was like well i don't want to throw away all this perfectly good food so we were like giving food to people um mm -hmm. so we had like three or four boxes of clothes that we gave to a friend. Um, but yeah, we sold the TV while I was watching the Olympics. I didn't get to finish. <laughs> You're like, I, hey, take it away. Okay. <laughs> it was really Bye. comical. It was like, there's this skating, skating. And then it was like, okay, I guess I'll have to hear about it from someone else as someone's walking out the house with my TV and they're like, oh, is that mirror for sale? And I'm like, yeah, take the mirror, go for it. So mm -hmm. it was a very surreal experience, but I had this vision. I mean, when you talk about the wild visionary and I think this is really important. I had this vision of my husband and I walking onto an airplane with just our backpacks on and this feeling of freedom and, mm -hmm. um, and relief that we did the thing. So I, I would carry that vision in my head when things got really overwhelming and they often did. I mean, there were times where I was just kind of mentally and emotionally kicking and screaming about this transition. Um, but I just kept thinking about that moment of us stepping onto the plane and, and being free and feeling like we could go anywhere for any length of time and make it happen. Um, and that kept me afloat in some moments that otherwise felt really turbulent. So what did you find in that process kind of, of like detangling yourself from your life to, to go free, right? You held the vision of you walking on the airplane with these backpacks, the sense of freedom, right? It, there's a couple of things here. It's like the envisioning part, which is so important to like see yourself doing it, but also attaching yourself to that feeling state of freedom, right? Of that like lightness there. What did you find to be the hardest to let go of before that? Oh, just the comfort, the security. Um, I think we do a really good job creating 
situations for ourselves where all of our needs are met and predictable. And um, I think we're very, as a cultural, very uncomfortable being uncomfortable. We want to um, know what the next step's going to be, what the future's going to hold. And since I was kind of staring into this abyss of um, the unknown, stepping into that was terrifying um because we're always very familiar with what we're losing right mm -hmm. we know exactly what we're stepping away from that is clear as can be um we have no idea what we're stepping into which sounds really obvious but i think that simple thing can create this um this fear and this hesitation in us to just not do the thing and i think it's taken me a lot of years of stepping into the unknown to really trust that whatever it is that I am stepping into is going to be richer and more beautiful than what I'm currently experiencing almost every time. Um, so that's given me a lot of courage since that moment of stepping on the plane from Af for Africa. Mm -hmm. um, but at that moment, I didn't have a lot of experience doing such a big transition and such a big move. So, um, yeah, it was yeah. just fear. It was just fear. Yeah. And, and I think that the, the feeling of the unknown or, or the not having any clue what's next in a, in a, how do I put this? It's something that we think is so real, but in a lot of ways, the unknown is always present. That even though we think we've created these creature comforts and everything is safe, secure, et cetera, and, and to some degree it is, but the reality is life is always full of the unknowns. And if you can hold on to that understanding, then you can look at something that is shifting you out of the house you're used to or the place you're used to and say like, this may feel like a scarier unknown, but in reality, like life is unknown. Everything about life is unknown. What happens next minute is unknown. Um, yeah. And it's, it feel it's a bigger degree right? It's a, a bigger feeling of that, but it is always there. Um, so what, so, so now we are actually, you are actually now getting on the plane to Africa, right? Mm -hmm. And you're on it and you're on your way. Did you have, like, where are you flying to initially? Did you have a plan when you got off the plane? We did have a plan. So we had, um, my husband had a coworker who had been to Uganda a number of times um, to volunteer and to just sort of help out at this little tiny school for kids um, called Sabina. It was in um, this teeny, teeny little town in, in Uganda. And they had always come, she and her husband had always traveled there with gifts and like they would come with shoes and clothes and um they would go to help build new wells and stuff like that um we were going to the same place because we had that connection 
Um, but we were really just going to volunteer and help out wherever they needed us. So it was a, a very loose connection though. We hadn't had a lot of communication on the ground with the people living at this little school. We'd sort of gone between a middleman to sort of communicate with them. So we knew the town that we were going to and the name of the school and that they were expecting us. And we were hoping to stay there for four to six months. Mm -hmm. um, but that was about it. So mm. we had a loose plan, um, yeah. but it wasn't the most set up stable thing. In, yeah, you were like, I know a guy who knows a guy who has a school and we're going there and we know what the school's name is. Had you been to Africa before? Never, never. Oh, wow. So <laughs> we so we land in Kampala, which is the um, capital of Uganda. And it's so overwhelming. I mean, everything in Africa is just so different. I mean, that sounds really obvious, but like just these little like Boda Boda motorcycles driving everywhere on the streets and um, trying to find a taxi out of the airport to get to this first little hostel we were staying at and trying to figure out where the bus station was the next day that was going to take us down to this town. I mean, everything was just um, so unfamiliar and traveling by bus in Africa is like a whole experience unto mm. itself. You sort of show up at this giant uh, dirt field with, if you can imagine, like 50 buses parked at all kinds of odd angles. And um, and you say, OK, I'm like someone will greet you as you walk into this dirt field from some somewhere. Some guy comes up and is like, where are you going? And you're like, I'm going to Sanjay in Uganda. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Follow me. So he'll bring you over to a bus that says Sanjay. Well, it says like some other town's name written in Sharpie on a piece of cardboard. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yes, this will take you to Sanjay. And you're like, are you sure? Because there's no there aren't like schedules anywhere. And he's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, you can get on. So you're like, OK, so you get on this bus and the bus driver, you know, tells you to go sit down. And there's literally like boxes full of baby chickens under your feet and people coming on and off and um and you're like how am I gonna know when I get there I don't I don't speak the language it's just <laughs> if you don't have your sense of humor you will not make it um and just <laughs> yeah, a profound just sense like, <laughs> yeah because you're just sitting there you're like okay apparently this is gonna take me where I need to go um and if it doesn't well we're I'm going to end now. up in like Tanzania because that was the name of the town written in Sharpie was in Tanzania. So I was like, I really hope we don't go to Tanzania because I don't know what to do there. Um, but it ends up being like an eight hour bus ride and somebody sitting next to us like stood up and started yelling at the driver when Sanjay Town came up. And, was, mm -hmm. and then they're like, OK, you guys get off here. And you're like, OK, and Sanjay's not even really I mean, when you think of towns, I mean, it's like a shanty town it's um there's no infrastructure so you step off the bus and you're just here i am in the middle of rural africa um hoping i can find the school so you just start asking people and schlepping your stuff and um by some miracle we ended up at this school and we're greeted by these really wonderful beautiful people who were expecting mm -hmm. us and then we all had to figure it out um they had sort of expected us to be an older couple because my husband's friends were older so they were initially really shocked that we were young um and then it was funny because they like sat down with us almost for like an interview with all the teachers and the school admin 
to, to ask what we were going to do to help them. And so <laughs> one of the guys said, okay, well, what, what degrees do you guys have? And I said, I have a degree in biology. And he was like, oh, great, great. And he stood up and he's like, come follow me. So I'm like, okay, so I'm following this guy into the jungle. And he stops at these, this grove of banana trees. And he starts explaining to me that he's trying to use compost from the school to grow his banana groves so they can grow more bananas. And he's like, you can help me because you're a biologist. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a marine biologist. I've never seen a banana tree before. I cannot help you with your banana trees. Like I am more than willing to gather compost for you, but I don't, I don't, I don't think we're understanding the hierarchy here. Like I am here to learn from you. Mm -hmm. I have nothing to teach you right now. <laughs> Like, give me a shovel and some gloves and I will help out. But mm -hmm. I cannot educate you about how to compost banana trees. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness. So, so how long did you stay there? So we were in that little school for about, we ended up staying for about four months. Um, and we just helped with a lot of projects um, wherever we could be useful. It, we ended up developing some great relationships and it was lovely. Um and then we we got a ticket to South Africa while we were there. We decided we wanted to go to South Africa. And so we spent another four months or so in South Africa after that. Um, and while we were in South Africa, we volunteered for a bunch of locals. Mm -hmm. So that's actually the key to what made our long-term travel work is that we... Um, got resourceful and found this really great website called Help Exchange, mm -hmm. which still exists. It's an amazing organization. Yeah. Um, but what they do is they match volunteers with local host families. So you sign up and create a profile for yourself. And this exists all over the world. So you can then look in Africa, who are the host families or in South Africa specifically. And then you contact the host and say, hey, I'm gonna be in your region. Um, are you looking for volunteers right now? And people look for volunteers for everything from like, you know, working on um, vineyards or farms or um, just help around the house or they're building a structure and they need you to help build the structure. And so um, you can see their profile and they're reviewed by other volunteers that have worked for them. So if you're going to work for them, you feel at least confident that mm -hmm. Um, they are safe and nice and all that stuff. And then you as a volunteer have reviews as well. So the hosts can read your reviews and see, are these people good workers? So it's a nice little matchup. And then when you get there and you end up working for an agreed number of hours every day, so that say they'll say, okay, you can work for five hours a day, but then they give you lodging and all three meals while you're there. So you don't have to spend any money while you're doing this because really when you're traveling, it comes down to, food and lodging are your only really necessary expenses. Mm -hmm. And so when we were in South Africa, we hopped from host to host, um, doing any number of projects. And um, what I loved about it is that a lot of times when you travel, especially long-term, you stay in a lot of hotels or hostels and you meet a lot of other travelers, which is cool. Um, but for us, we were thinking, you know, we're in this, these foreign countries where we would really want to get to know the locals. We want to know what they're talking about at the dinner table, what their politics are like, what food they're serving. Um, we want to really experience the culture 
and have these rich, amazing conversations. And so that kind of travel opened up the door for us to really be present in the countries that we were in and try and um, really listen and sort of sit at the feet, so to speak, of the locals. And um, yeah, we were able to do that for big stretches of time, which is incredible. Yeah, I, I'm just, you know, from the very beginning of the story of you getting off and you getting on the bus, it just made me think of just the the sheer kindness that can come from being in different places, from other humans. Like so many people have this, this view that the world, because it's what we're fed, we're fed all this, like the world is terrible. People are so mean, right? You know, and, and really I feel like when I hear stories of people going out and like, you're just, people are there to help you a lot of times. They're here to, there to guide you. There's just so much human kindness in the world, each step we're taking. Um, and I love how you also really kind of immersed yourself into the cultures, into the food, into the people, into every single part of that to learn from them how how long did this kind of traveling help exchange go on for so we did some version of this for about eight years which mm. is a long time so that first trip was to africa um when we we knew we were going to need to make money at some point during this mm -hmm. oh, rhythm, that was obviously did how, how much did you have saved when you left not much. I mean, by all standards, I think we had ten to fifteen thousand dollars in our bank account when we left mm -hmm. from the sale of the house. Um, so that was it. That was just sitting in our bank account. Um, and then, like I said, we had very few expenses. I mean, I I honestly think we had under two hundred dollars in in expenses every month. Um, going out. So we at least knew unless something really crazy happened, that money should last us for a while. But you also have no idea when you're starting these trips, what's going to come up. And so we didn't want to dip into our funds too much. So we were really traveling on a dime. And that would look so different for, you know, somebody who was able to launch with, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank account. The, the travel um, could look really different. It could also look really different for somebody who had um, a digital means of making money, um, somebody who was who was making money remotely. And there are a lot of people these days now, especially after COVID, that are able to work remotely. Um, we didn't have any of that. So we really had no income that first six, eight months that we were in Africa. We were just helping out and volunteering and yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, but, you know, our coffers started sort of becoming depleted. And so we ended up finding work. So we knew we wanted to work in a national park. Our initial idea was that we would work in a different national park every every year and sort of get to see the national park scene in the U.S. that way. Um, but our first job that we got was in Denali National Park in Alaska at a backcountry lodge about 90 miles into the park. And we got, we kind of hit gold with that job. Um, it was an incredible community of people working there, about 50 staff members, everybody living alternative lifestyles, multi-generational staff, people who had intentionally chosen to live 
sort of in the margins because you can experience both in seasonal work where you have a very young um kind of group of people who are maybe in their early 20s and or in gap years from high school to college and just looking to do something for the summer this community was not that um this community of people were just some of the most interesting human beings i'd ever met mm -hmm. and um we were treated extremely well as staff we got to live in really cool cabins looking over the alaska range we ate incredible like world-class meals the same as the guests were eating in the in the lodge um the owners really valued the staff um like family and so we ended up working there all eight years we just kept returning to that job mm -hmm. um and that was really incredible too because because our lodging and our food was provided for us um once we got there as soon as we sort of stepped foot into alaska we knew we were gonna we didn't actually need to have a single dollar in the in our bank accounts when we showed up because we were immediately going to be housed and fed and start earning a salary mm -hmm. um and because we didn't have any expenses both all of our money from our paychecks just went right into the bank we didn't even we we spent literally six months in alaska working and not spending any money because all of our needs were met which felt like we were in on some secret i mean again when you think <laughs> about the way we structure our lives we went from spending maybe 90 percent of our income to maintaining our lifestyle in our home in washington to saving a hundred percent of our paychecks so we would finish out the season with a good amount of money in our accounts and just literally say where do you want to go this year what country the second year we went to new zealand we spent six months in new zealand um traveling and volunteering mm -hmm. and the next year we walked the camino de santiago in spain which is about a 500 mile trek across spain um doing this like pilgrimage which was really interesting and then we went to costa rica and then we lived in belize for a little bit like uh we just we felt like we were in this sort of hidden undercurrent um where we were sort of winning at life and would occasionally just be like how are we doing this it felt like we were living like we were retired and we weren't struggling financially and um it was just a surreal experience um and, I think and it didn't oh go ahead no and I, I said it and I think it's you know, if someone was to pan out and look at this, like we're talking about how at, at the beginning of this, how we think that what we create right in the box life as we're talking about it was safety and security. It was the comfort. It was that was like you didn't you had to detangle from that because you're like, I'm I'm leaving all of this safety and security. But then when you hear this, like you didn't have to worry about any expenses like you just lived and worked and saved money and then traveled and it's just like so we're arguing for this like idea of a no this is this is safety and security but I think some people could really argue that what you were doing there that was more security yeah and I think that's the part that felt really surreal it's because mm -hmm. there are these certain things in life that we just take as a given 
like you said, you sort of build this life and you structure your life in such a way that you, um, you feel some sense of ease or comfort, you know, you're making this much, much every year and your expenses are lower than that. And you're saving this much for retirement. And so you're like, okay, I'm good. But I, my experience, and I'm currently living, uh, in a more rooted lifestyle again right now because I had a baby four and a half years ago and that changed our rhythm a little bit but mm -hmm. my experience is that when you do have the mortgage and the expenses and all I feel far more stressed about finances and security than I did for the eight years that I spent um, traveling um, I was never worried about money um, which sounds crazy right like you would think that would be at the forefront of your worries. Um, and, but we were also really intentionally uh, intentional about living um, frugally, mm -hmm. but I think it was also illuminating about how little you actually need. We think yeah. we need all this stuff to be happy. And in truth, I was, the less stuff I had around me, the freer I felt. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. the more, I don't know, curious I felt about the possibilities that were surrounding me. Mm -hmm. what kind of work did you do because you're talking about doing this work at this at Denali what kind of work did you do at Denali what what is that so like... oh and the other the other thing while I'm thinking of it did anybody at Denali have kids like was this any were there families there at all doing this or yeah that's a great question so there were families that lived there um there was it was actually great for families one of my coworkers had two boys that were like seven and nine um her job was she was like the head of all the the guides that went out into the park so where we were working there were there were lots of jobs so there was like more entry-level jobs like housekeeping and serving meals to guests and stuff like that and then there were um more technical jobs there was a whole maintenance department. So there were engineers and mechanics and stuff that worked um, just keeping things running and keeping the lights on. Um, and then there were guides that would take guests on guided hikes into the park. So usually professionals in their field who um, had higher degrees and were out there leading expeditions. Um, and then there were like hosts who would stay at the lodge and just organize activities for everybody, kind of like a concierge. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was office staff that would do marketing and um reservations and all of that stuff so there was a variety of jobs what i liked about the structure there is that most people did a little bit of everything so even the guides would be washing dishes some nights and um everybody would help like wash buses that would take the guests in and out of the park it created a real um continuity in the community of not feeling like there was a hierarchy which was really great just for our own little community to remove some of that vision mm -hmm. um but yes a couple of people had kids and so where i was working there was like a kid care program where when everybody was working there 50 hours a week um, the kids were being watched by somebody who was hired specifically to watch the kids hmm. um and the moms loved it because they would show up with their kids they didn't have to cook a meal for six months can you imagine 
Like their oh kids God. were fed breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They were like, I'm never leaving. This, <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> this sounds like a dream life right there. I'm like, sign me up. Let's do it. You know? <laughs> I know. And kid care was like, you know, they'd be like taking them out on like a canoe ride in this lake in the middle of Alaska during the day. And there was like not really any screen time because we're in this remote place. So people got really creative about games and but yeah, there were kids in the community and then st staff members who were in their 70s who were like retired and had just decided to come work here in their retirement. Mm -hmm. um, and then staff members who were in their early 20s and everything in between. So um, I got hired initially as a guide um, because I had experience guiding people in my past in Marine Bio. Um, but I ended up deciding that I actually liked working behind the scenes better. It was more of a mental break for me. So I wound up in the role of housekeeping supervisor. I had a staff of like 25 housekeepers that I would, um, that were way overqualified to be cleaning toilets. And yeah, everybody did it with a smile on their face because mm -hmm. that's just the nature of the community we were in. It was, people were there to create a lifestyle. They weren't really there just to specifically do the job. And so yeah. if cleaning up, toilet was part of this lifestyle they were like it's cool I'll do that no worries um so yeah, yeah that's it, what it I it was not doing. about cleaning the toilets it was about the whole picture they're like yeah I'll clean yeah. the toilet I'll wash a bus I'll do some dishes I'll do this and then I get six months of whatever I want to do yeah amazing like sign me up like yeah half of your you know you essentially people are going for their two weeks of vacation they're like I'm I'll work as hard as I can I can for six months for my six months of vacation, right? Yeah, it really reframes things when you're like, again, stepping outside of the norm and you think like, well, what would you do for six months if it meant that you could go hang out in a hammock in Belize for a couple months afterwards? Like mm -hmm. pretty much anything, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, especially again, if you're in a group of people who it's like everybody's checked their ego at the door. No task is too small or big like it's just it's just work right mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's just work and if you enjoy the people that you're working with and you're in one of the most beautiful places in the world it's like yeah right. sure I'll do that so this went on for eight years and then what transitioned you to to where you are now was it you getting pregnant or yeah, it was a positive pregnancy test in Alaska. It totally, um, that was a, that was a game changer as it tends to be. Um, we were trying, but really not expecting to get pregnant for a variety of reasons. And then we did. So, uh, yeah, it was the end of a season. Um, all the guests had left. There were about five staff members left and the snow had come in. I remember looking out the window and there was just snow everywhere and we were about ready to leave the park and, um get ready for whatever this next travel season was going to be and then um we got that little plus sign and um we were really excited but also knew that this was going to change everything because my due date was literally the beginning of the season the next year um and I, I knew I couldn't have a I couldn't give birth to a newborn in the middle of a national park maybe I could have but I was not up for that particular adventure mm -hmm. um and we had started to already feel like okay I, at some point we, we might want some more stability again and to have um, a house and somewhere to leave our stuff every year. And um, so we started looking for 
a home in Washington um, in a beautiful place. That was kind of our only requirement. We set a pretty big net and um, we found this place that we're currently in in the mountains of, of Washington and um, had our daughter. And do you have kids, Audra? I do. I have a nine-year-old son. So, you know, like in the first couple years, you're just sort of in a whirlwind of transition I, and I don't even really remember anything that happened. It's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've been in the thick of that. She's four and a half now and she just, you know, she'll be starting kindergarten next year. And we really like having a community here, but um, I could see us still because we are who we are mm -hmm. um, taking her for some extended travel when she gets a little bit older um, and doing a year or two abroad with her. Um, I have some friends that are doing that with their kids right now and uh they're super inspirational um they've got three kids from the ages of like four to ten and they're they've been in in europe for the last seven months traveling around with all their kids and they did the same thing they like sold their house and everything they owned and um they're in greece right now like on some beautiful island in greece with their children um so this is something you can do with kids um but young kids, it's just, it's just hard. It's just different. I know some people are up for that challenge with young kids and babies. Mm -hmm. That's, it's just like, not my amazing. journey. Yeah. I'm amazing for them. I love that you're carrying your babe carrier up the steps in Greece. Yeah. Um, but I can't, I couldn't imagine, but I, I can see like now that my son, he'll be 10 in March, you know, and I could see like that on the horizon, like doing travel at this point because he's completely capable and curious and artistic and a foodie and would love to just experience the world from that perspective of like long-term travel being out there in the world for a couple of years um I really think like it, I feel like for me it, like once he hit five like things started to shift a little bit right like once we like made it to that point then you're like okay like things you can they start to do things for themselves and then continue to learn those skills and it gets a little bit easier um for sure for sure do you do you ever feel now at all uh stifled or um you know with your current lifestyle does that feel constraining at all definitely yeah i'll be honest it does i think when you've been fortunate enough to really live such an untethered life for such a long period of time anytime that you're stationary and in one place and you've got you know bills and a life to maintain again um it can feel restraining so i think though there's a there is an in-between place there's a middle ground between the full-blown travel all the time and mm -hmm. the very structured nine to five um boxes that we place ourselves in and i'm trying to find that middle place right now so part of me starting my own podcast and um exploring some of my own creative interests right now is me thinking how can i become a little less tethered um in a way that still honors the fact that i am committed to staying in this town right now um mm -hmm. what does that look like for me in this stage of my life as a new mom um where i spread my roots so to speak um 
and let myself be a little bit freer um, and again get back to that beginning place of questioning what um, the needs are in my life so mm -hmm. where are there areas where I'm feeling a little restricted that I can actually start to loosen a little bit and imagine a different a different future for me um, yeah and I hope I do that my whole life I hope I'm constantly in a stage of pressing back against the edges and and letting my letting myself get a little more wild so yeah yeah, yeah. So we all need a little bit a little bit of really rewilding right yeah <laughs> because we we were wild when we like there's nothing constraining your toddler the toddler right like <laughs> we we're wild coming into this space and then we kind of conform ourselves to what we think we're supposed to and then we have to rewild and be like, I am connected. We're connected to everybody. We're connected to the earth. We're connected to all of this, right? And you can find that shared humanity as I'm sure you have through all of your travels everywhere you've gone. Um, and I love what you're saying about really questioning where the edges are and what you need and continuing that through your whole life to always say like, there's no... There's no point we as humans become actually stagnant in like our bodies, right? Our bodies are always changing. The world around us is always changing. And it's just when we constrain ourselves in our mind that, that we limit what we can possibly do or how we can shift things. And that then trickles down into our bodies. Like our bodies mm -hmm. can become more stiff or more stressed and it trickles out to other people. And so if we continue that conversation with ourselves, is this now what served you five years ago or three years ago may not still serve you now? How can I continue to question the edges? Yeah. Um, I And I wanted to just ask about when you're looking at, or if you were to speak to somebody right now listening, and I know personally, this is like, this has been a, such an expansive conversation around, you know, what, how we can really look at our lives. And I'm thinking as you're talking of like, okay, like what things can I sell? Like what things do I not need? How, and I am moving in the direction of becoming more, uh, more free and less tethered, like with my long-term goals. I'm, I want to do more travel, like with my son. Um, and that idea of like, what can I, what can I get rid of? What, how can I continue to untether myself? And so when somebody's listening to this, what advice would you give them to me, to other people on how to really start to untether yourself, how you could um, live this, more wandering or nomadic lifestyle and and maybe different degrees of it right maybe there's like you said that middle ground and then there's the full out like we have no home but we find home wherever we are yeah oh man well i think there's two sides to it i think one side is the practical side that you were just talking about like what could i sell or what could i how could i simplify my life so that the idea of launching into full-time travel doesn't feel so overwhelming and i would say if that is a a calling that you feel like you have or an urge that you feel like you have um and i know it sounds simple but the fewer monthly expenses that you have the better 
Is there anywhere you can trim back or are there certain things that you are um, consuming or um, collecting because there's some kind of ex expectation that you should have those things? And if that doesn't feel in alignment for you, if you feel like there's actually some shedding that can be done, that's huge. Um, and so getting really honest about what you need. Um, and then I think the other part of it is just, um, can you be comfortable living outside of the sort of societal expectations that are set in place for all of us? Um, I think that was one really big gift that I got um, from this eight year journey was that I was constantly in a place where I was sort of on the margins of what people expected or considered normal. And there was sometimes judgment that came from that or a lot of people who'd say like, oh, I would love to do that, but I never could. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not true. Anybody can. It doesn't mean that it's easy. Um, but um, I think it does take a certain amount of um, knowing yourself to know, can you sit in those spaces and be okay with the fact that there will be judgment or criticism coming from um, these external things and that that's not really about you. It's that people tend to resent people who are living out their dreams sometimes mm -hmm. um, because they have their own fear and they have their own biases around it. And so I think if you can really um, get to a place where you really don't care what anyone else thinks about you or your decisions, um, that's where the liberation actually is. So whether you're doing that in the life you currently have or in some vision that you have for your future, um, what would it feel like to you if some switch was flipped internally right now where you genuinely didn't care what anyone else thought of what you were doing? Yeah. It feels like so much freedom, right? It's like, oh, your shoulders kind of drop and your face relaxes and it's like, there's a lot of things that I would do if I didn't care. Um, and that's up to you. You know, ultimately that's up to you. You can't, you, you don't have to give that power to anybody else. Um, and that opens all kinds of doors Yeah. when you get to that place. Mm, it's so good. So this whole, this whole thing is so good. I'm so inspired from this. Um, and, uh, I hope everybody can just like, even if you don't want to go and have a one-way ticket to Africa that, and everybody can take something from this. And even if it's just these last moments of like, what would you do if you didn't care about somebody else's opinion of you? And, and the fascinating thing to kind of round this whole thing out is it's socially acceptable for people to live lives that they really don't like and not socially acceptable for people to be living these free nomadic lives and people then question like you and it's on the margin as you're referring to it right this life of like being more free but we're not like we need to question like the lives that people are living that they don't even like like I'm like nobody's questioning those I I want to question them I want to question why you're not enjoying what you're doing. Why, yes. why, why is this not being questioned? That should be questioned more than the person who's just designed something that they really love. Yes, a hundred percent. 
we have a very strange way that we've set up the system here Mm -hmm. and uh you know this this life is short and beautiful and we should be catching every moment that we can to feel like we're living our most free liberated um joyful paths yeah yeah as we as we finish this out i'm going to go into some of my ending questions and i do something special for my guests which is i ask ask the person i'm interviewing for a recipe um and my hope is that this recipe gets passed on and passed on with the story that this is from the woman who bought the one-way ticket to africa and you can do it too right yeah so what what did you bring for us to try i'm submitting my favorite banana bread recipe Mm. and this one i love because we stayed with a really awesome guy in south africa that just wanted us to cook food for him (laughs) and that was great and he wanted us to use our own recipes and so i had this there's plenty of bananas where we were living and so i had this great banana bread recipe and he loved it so much that it was like on nearly a daily basis. He was like, maybe oh, you wow. could make some more banana bread today. <laughs> um, and it's a great recipe. I mean, I think everybody thinks their banana bread recipe is the best, but it's very, very good. You're so, like, but mine's probably objectively but, the best. So mine is the best. You, need, <laughs> you need to try it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so we're down to the down and dirty three. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. What is a quote that has profoundly impacted your life? All right. It's the opening stanza of a poem by Mary Oliver Mm -hmm. called Wild Geese that a lot of people are familiar with. And it starts by saying, you do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles in the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Mm, I'm like teary. Oh, (laughs) yes. Yeah. Mm. And I think especially uh, for for women too, who are like, I have to be a good girl. I have to do it right, right? We just have to love ourselves and and what we instinctually want and desire for yeah. ourselves. Yeah, such um, good permission. Yeah. And what is a book you think everyone could benefit from reading? I love the book Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm-hmm. And the tagline is uh, creativity beyond fear. Mm-hmm. Um, she has such a beautiful way of talking about how we have a relationship with creativity mm-hmm. and, um, and how, when we, when we ditch the fear narrative in our lives, we really open the door to have some incredible stuff come up that, um, I just love that book. I think it's yes. so, so great. I do too. I, I've read it and I often cite it. Like, it's just it's something that just expands your your awareness of how to be creative and and the I, I talk about the way that ideas are kind of distilled or filtered down which I think is so cool so I yeah. everybody needs to go out and read it audible it we can find a way right it's so good and then what are three words that describe your vision for your most extraordinary life authentic unapologetic and connected mm, it's a beautiful And I love how they really speak to who you are and what you've done. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.
Thank you so much for this conversation. It's been beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And if this episode really resonated with you, if you had some aha moments or, oh my gosh, then please share this episode with a friend who could really benefit from listening and give us a five-star review telling us how this episode may change your life. Interested in a deeper dive with me? With the theme of simplicity running rampant in my year, I'm only offering one way to work with me. It's going to be an exclusive offer for a small number of people and all the details will be rolled out within the next couple weeks. So if you want to make sure that you're the first to know about it, make sure to get on my email list so that you get the details when spots are available to do this deeper dive. We will be taking you to your next level this year and you don't want to miss out because once the spots are gone, that will be it for the rest of the year. Much love.